This is the Hasidic Story Project with Barack Holman, podcasting from Jerusalem, Israel. This podcast is sponsored by listeners just like you. To become a supporter of this podcast, please go to HasidicStory.com. H-A-S-I-D-I-C Story.com. You'll never know. You'll never know. You'll never know. You'll never know. Shalom Aleichem, my sweetest friends. I have two beautiful stories for you this week. Here's the first one. In the late 1600s in Eastern Europe, Most Jews were uneducated, and their life was very difficult. The way it worked back then is there were the great scholars who would sit and learn all the time, write books, answer questions. But the simple Jew, the water carrier, the woodchopper, the baker, they had no one to turn to for asking questions, getting spiritual guidance, and growing in their Judaism. And the Torah scholars looked down on these simple Jews, knowing that they were ignoramuses, and that all of their Jewish knowledge was mainly memorizing parts of the davening, some tehillim, knowing some basic halachot, and so they were treated like second-class citizens in the Jewish world in Europe in those days. And the village of Sharia was no exception. There was a rabbi of the town who was a great Torah scholar, and he would sit and learn all day and teach some of the other Torah scholars. But most of the Jews of that town were poor, illiterate Jews who had no one to guide them. And they didn't expect anyone to come and guide them either. And then one day, out of nowhere, a plain-looking traveler, whose name was Hirsch Leib, arrived in the village of Sharye. He looked like just another simple Jew. He was so simple-looking, and his clothes were not very nice, that nobody paid any attention to him. They figured he was just coming through town. But Reb Hirsch, he wasn't what he appeared to be. He had come to that town in order to raise the spirits of the Jews there. And he would go around to the water carriers and the woodchoppers, and he would say words that would raise their spirits, giving them new joy and hope. He would say to them, It's forbidden for anyone to be full of despair. Shem loves all of his children dearly and wants us to serve him with joy, with simcha. When Hashem told Moshe Rabbeinu to speak to the children of Israel, he didn't make any distinction between Torah scholars and woodchoppers. The Torah was given to all of them, and it's being given to all of us, all the time. It is your birthright. All you had to do was be born a Jew. And Reb Hirsch, he stressed to the simple Jews of this village that it was never too late to start learning Torah. And when he would tell this to the woodchoppers, to the water carriers, to the simple Jews of the town, they looked at him in shock, because no one had ever spoken with them in such a way. No one ever thought the poor Jews of Sharia were worthy enough to be taught Torah. But Hirsch Leib, he promised all of them that he himself would be their teacher. And he announced that he's opening up a cheder for all ages, for men and women, anyone who wants to come. And on a certain day, he's beginning, and he's starting with Aleph Bet, the first two letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And even before the first day of the cheder, there was a wave of incredible joy and hope in the hearts of the simple people of this village. They said to themselves, nobody even ever imagined that somebody would care enough about us to want to teach us. We know there's the Torah scholars and they sit and study and learn all the time. They teach other Torah scholars. But for someone to teach the simple-minded people like us, it was unheard of. 
When the first day of the cheder came, the small schoolhouse that Reb Leib Hirsch was using for his cheder was not only packed inside, people were standing in rows outside the building. There was somebody standing at the window, shouting to the people outside what Reb Hirsch Leib was saying. And he began teaching Aleph Bet, just like one does with little children. And throughout that village, people became uplifted and were filled with joy and given new strength. They no longer felt neglected or cut off from the Jewish people. And this continued for five years. Every day, including Shabbos, Reb Hirsch Leib's cheder was open to anyone who wanted to attend. And it got to the point that when someone would want to join and they didn't know Aleph Bet, one of the senior students, who maybe had been learning for a few months, would teach that person Aleph Bet. And in the cheder, Reb Hirsch was teaching them how to read, how to daven, and he taught them in the proper way of living life as a Jew. He taught them how to treat each other with respect and to conduct their business affairs in an ethical way. And it didn't take long for word to spread throughout the village that this Reb Hirsch was teaching the illiterate Jews of the town. And after these five years, the rabbi of the town, Reb Shmuel Akiva, he came to visit the cheder of Reb Hirsch. And when the great rabbi of the town entered the cheder, Reb Hirsch and his students, some of them who were old and had white hair, all stood up out of respect for the rabbi of the town. And the rabbi came over to Reb Hirsch, and he took his hand, and he kissed it, he was so grateful for what Reb Hirsch had done for the uneducated Jews of that town. And then the rabbi said, Everyone, I want to share with you a parable, a mashal. He said, Once there was a very wise and kind king who cared about the subjects in his kingdom and their needs. And he set aside three times a day in which the people could come to him, to the king, with their requests and ask for whatever they needed. In the capital city, there was a certain street where the people that lived there were all mutes. They could hear, but they were incapable of speaking. And these mutes were very upset, because three times a day the king was meeting with everyone. And they also had needs, but they had no way of speaking to the king. And then one day, a healer, who had heard about this street of mutes in the kingdom, decided he would use all of his skills and abilities to cure these mutes. With his great knowledge, this healer was able to restore the power of speech to these people who could not speak. When they were finally able to stand before the king, they were able to use their voices, just like all of the other subjects of the king in the entire nation. And immediately, the king gave them what they needed. And when the king found out about this, he asked that the healer be brought to him, and he gave him all kinds of gifts and treasures. And the rabbi of Sharia, he ended by saying, Up until now, my sweetest friends, you've all been silent. You didn't know one letter from another. You served Hashem in silence, with hearts filled with pain. And then a great healer, a dear friend here, the Persh Leib, he comes out of nowhere. And with his skills and his knowledge, and with the help of Hashem, he's able to teach you all to read and write and daven and teach you halacha and teach you ethics. From now on, each of you is a God-fearing Jew, like Avraham, our father. May Hashem bless you all, that everything you daven for come true in the right time, in the right place. And Reb Hirsch Leib, he continued teaching his cheder for another five years, until there was a whole village of scholars who could learn with one another and teach the next generation. And they made sure that no one was left behind, no matter their ability to learn Torah. 
And then one day, the students showed up to the cheder, but Reb Hirsch did not. They waited all day, and he didn't show up. So people did a search for him. They looked all over town. But just like Reb Hirsch had showed up, he had disappeared. Ten years to the day that he had first arrived. And about a year later, a fur trader came to town. And people were always asking people that were coming out of town if they had seen someone who looked like Reb Hirsch. And this fur trader said yes. About a six months travel from this town, he saw this rabbi that everyone in the town was asking about. And he said, I noticed he was a bit of a strange fellow. Looked like a very simple guy. And he had the most amazing thing. He had a cheder where the simplest Jews of that town were sitting and learning Aleph Bet from him. And so the villagers realized that Reb Hirsch had moved on because his mission in that village had been fulfilled. And there were other Jews who were in need of his patient, gentle teaching. And so too, my sweetest friends, the Lubavitcher Rebbe sent his shluchim, his emissaries, his messengers all around the world to teach Jews Aleph Bet, to bring Jews closer to Yiddishkeit. And the Lubavitcher Rebbe is not just the Rebbe of Chabadnikim. If you open your hearts, my sweetest friends, you'll see that he's the Rebbe for whoever lets him in. One of the things that the Lubavitcher Rebbe taught us is that if a person knows Aleph, they should teach someone else Aleph. And when they know Bet, they should teach that person Bet, just like our great teacher, Reb Hirsch Leib, did for the Jews of Sharia. I thought that was such a beautiful, sweet story. I have another very beautiful story for you, my sweetest friends. It was at a Sudat Mitzvah, a festive meal to celebrate a young Baal Tshuva making a siyum, finishing the first Masechta volume of the Talmud in Bnei Brak. And it was a very happy moment because it had taken this young man many years to work his way back to authentic Yiddishkeit, the Judaism of his ancestors. His parents were not religious and he'd never been to yeshiva, but now... Here in Eretz Yisrael, he discovered Torah and Judaism and been inspired to make the long journey back to a life of Torah and mitzvot. And all of his little work, step by step, had brought him to this great milestone. First he had learned to read, then he learned to daven, then he learned Chumash, Mishnah, Gemara, and now he was finishing his first tractate of the Talmud. And the friends there were overjoyed. Everyone was so happy, everyone that is, except for his father who sat there with his hands crossed and this grumpy look on his face. To him, all of this Judaism meant nothing. He didn't even want to come to the party, but his son had begged him, and he figured, okay, fine, my son really, really wants me to come, so I'll come. And each rabbi and each one of the friends of this young man, whose name was Ephraim, got up to speak. The father sat there with a grumpy face, looking down at everyone and everything that they were saying. And the Rebbe of this Ephraim, his main teacher, he said Ephraim is like a person who builds a house brick by brick until the house is complete. Each new line of Gemara that Ephraim learned was added to the one before until eventually he completed this entire volume of the Talmud. And Ephraim himself was so filled with joy he got up and he, with tears in his eyes, he said how hard it was to start and how much meaning Judaism has in his life now. And as he was speaking, he looked over quickly at his father 
who was moving uncomfortably in his chair. And eventually, the meal was over, and it was time for Birkata Mazon, a grace after the meal. And the father was moving around in his chair, and then he stood up, and he raised his hand, told everyone, please, quiet down, quiet down. And knowing that he was anti-religious, didn't even want to be there, the guests were kind of surprised that he had anything to say. On top of it, he was wearing shorts and a t-shirt and a baseball cap. It really didn't fit in to the black hats in B'nai Brak. He looked over the crowd and he said, I'd like to say a few words with everyone's permission. And so everybody sat there, curious, quiet, and respectful. The father cleared his throat <coughs> and he said, I've been watching this party for the last few hours and I didn't think it would affect me. Some of you know that I didn't even want to come here, but now that I've met all of you and I've seen what a seum is, I'm actually happy that I came, and I want to share with you a story. He said, you know, I come from the Soviet Union, from Russia, and I was an assimilated Jew there, but it didn't do me any good with the Soviet authorities. An assimilated Jew is still a Jew as far as they're concerned. They accused me of being disloyal to the communists and sent me to a labor camp in Siberia. And for an entire year, I worked with another prisoner, the two of us together for an entire year, but we were too scared to speak with one another. We froze together, we worked together, we starved together, but we never once spoke. And at the end of the year, I was granted my release, and I felt I should say goodbye to the person I'd been working with for a year. And when I did, he said to me, he wants to share with me a story. And I never understood the story, but I think after what I saw tonight, I understand the story. He said to me, once upon a time, there was an apple orchard. The trees there grew beautifully. Each one was more delicious and redder than the next. And every year a new crop grew, and every year it was more delicious and more beautiful than the last one. And one summer, one of the farmers, he turns to his fellow farmer, and he says, you know what? The roots of these trees are filthy. They're dirty. They sit there under the ground in the mud, and yet somehow they make these beautiful apples. What do you think if we take one of the trees, turn it upside down, and bury the apples instead of the roots, wouldn't we have more beautiful apples than before? And the other farmer thought that's a pretty good idea. So they uprooted some trees, buried the trees upside down in the orchard. Now the roots were in the sky, and the leaves and the branches were buried under the dirt, and they waited the same amount of time as usual, but nothing grew. But those farmers, they wouldn't give up, so they tried it again and again planting the trees upside down, the roots in the sky, and the heads in the ground. They were determined to succeed, but not a single apple grew from these trees. And somehow, one apple remained, and they took it and planted it in the ground. The next year, a little tree grew from it, and from that little sapling, the farmers had hope for the future. That was the story that he told me. Then the guards came and took me away. I was able to go back home, and he continued serving his prison time. And I've thought about that story for so many years, and I never understood it. But now I think I do. My generation thought we had the right ideas. We would rebel against what our fathers believed in for centuries. We would throw away religion, and we would plant a new modern way of life believing that we would produce even better generations in the future. But those ideas did not work. And luckily for me, one apple was saved. The crowd was stunned into silence. The father became very emotional. And he looked at his son and he said, My son, 
You are this family's last apple. Miraculously, you were saved and you were planted. And God willing, fruits will grow from your tree and you will be this family's future. I'm so proud of you, my sweetest son. And with that, he went and hugged his son. And not only did the father understand the story, but so did everybody at the Siyum Masechet. And I have to share something with you, my sweetest friends. This happens to me many times, and it amazes me every time. So I sit here, trying to figure out what stories am I going to tell this week. And if something comes to mind, I find it in my collection and tell the story. And that was the first story that I told. And then for some reason, I remembered this story. They're from different books. They're from completely different times. And I'm amazed at how Hashem's hand is guiding this podcast. Today is Yud Shvat, the 10th of Shvat, which is the passing the yard site of Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak Schneerson, known as the Rebbe Rayatz, the Friedeke Rebbe, the 6th Lubavitcher Rebbe, who passed away in 1950. And a year later, in 1951, his son-in-law, Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson, became the last Lubavitcher Rebbe. And what was the message of the Rebbe? I would say both of them. Of course, all of the messages of Hasidus, serve Hashem with joy, never give up, always pushing forward. But what was really the message of these two great Rebbe's was go out and teach your fellow Jews, Aleph and Bet. And you might be the last apple that thank God it was saved. And since you know a little bit about what it is to be a Jew, you can teach someone else. May the stories continue to inspire us, my sweetest friends. Bezat Hashem. Thank you so much for listening. As always, I want to thank the Sheer family in South Africa for writing to me and for sending in your beautiful contribution. And also my sweetest friend, Jason, in California, who gives so much support to this podcast. Thank you for your contributions and your support. And if you would like to become a contributor of this podcast, my sweetest friends, all contributions are welcome and appreciated. You can find that by going to my website, HasidicStory.com. And please keep on sharing, keep on subscribing, keep on telling your friends about the podcast, because it's really growing, and it's all thanks to you, my listeners. Thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to our next story next week. L'chaim, my sweetest friends. L'chaim. L'chaim. L'chaim.
Tov. Mazel Tov. You're in the wrong sound effect. What, I am? Yes. Oh, sorry about that.